Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where all that the Catholic Church believes and teaches is served fresh daily. So come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzymski. Greetings and welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, sitting in the luxurious corner booth of the French Catholic Cafe, sitting here with my guest co-host, Robert Hutton. You doing all right, Robert? I'm doing great, Deacon. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. And uh, wow, it just seems like our guests keep getting better and better. They do. More international. But now, you know, we're kind of going into the uh, the dark parts of the world, well, the I forgot, crevices. I forgot what we're speaking about today. Because we're talking about something forgotten, and it's what? a very important topic. And we're going oh. out. Yeah, very good. You're so funny, Robert. Um, <laughs> Try but to be anyway, deep. I'm not raising the pay. Oh. But I will say that uh, we are talking about something we don't always think about a lot. Right, we're talking about forgotten people. To bring uh, all this to light and maybe shed some light on the forgotten a little bit, we're going to bring in someone uh, who is an expert uh, at at all of this, and we're bringing in Lisa Simpson. She's the member in charge of the Global Fund for Forgotten People. Lisa, thank you so much for joining us here in the luxurious corner booth at the Catholic Cafe. Well, it's. A great pleasure to be here, and there are so few opportunities for the forgotten to be recognized in such a dramatic way and to be speaking to so many people um, that you speak to regularly about a, a subject that they may not even be aware of. Well, that's why we, we thought it'd be great to have you here, and first of all, we should define some terms. We say forgotten people, and I know... When I forget things, it's because I'm 50 years old and I've forgotten something, a date or whatever. I remember most of my kids' names, and, and that's the way we'll think of it. I'm making light of the situation, but they're, but what, what are we talking about when we're talking about forgotten people? Well, I am working with uh, the Order of Malta, and I'm a member of the Order of Malta. The Order has been in existence for over 900 years, and it's existed for that period of time because it is a group of people who care about one thing and one thing only, and that's to look after those that are suffering in the world, to take after, to, to look after the poor and the sick, and to defend the Catholic faith. And the way they do that is through their work. And we mostly work very quietly. There isn't an awful lot of people um, who know what we do. Uh, many people have heard of the order, but they're, um, they're vague about um, what its service is. And that's really how the Global Fund for the Forgotten People was born. It was the idea of leaders from around the world coming from over 120 countries. And although they work very diligently on some of these issues that are close to their heart, they understood that not a lot of people understood what the work of the order is or has been for these uh, this, these many centuries, and the 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 idea sprung from the fact that in so many cases um, the media focuses on emergencies or natural disasters, and people are very generous. They open their hearts and their checkbooks and give tremendous support in these situations. But often, what they don't realize is that after the spotlight of the media moves on or after the disaster is finished, that there's so many people suffering. And right. that's really where the Order of Malta comes into play. There can be that one instant where something tugs the heartstrings and a lot of money comes in, but then the, a lot of these problems are, are very systemic problems that take mm-hmm. constant 
attention, and the media is not very good at at um, raising awareness over long periods of time for some of these these um, people. Is that right? I think that's that's exactly right. And when when people are seeing the death tolls in in these situations, and many times if the problem happens to be close to home, Haiti or in New Orleans. Uh, people are very generous, but the further away it is from their culture or their understanding... The more forgotten uh, it is, it, right? And the more difficult it is to reach. And the Order of Malta is unique in the fact that its members, people in our order, are in these places around the world and have been for decades and decades. So we have a remarkable network in place. So there's no... Um, we don't have that concern about... Has the money reached the victim? The order focuses on the person that's suffering, and we're very we're 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 very blessed. Um, you know, people over the centuries and over the decades have given their lives. They've left countries like the United States, like Germany, France, and Italy, and gone into the most remote places and established schools and hospitals and clinics and dispensaries. And what, what, what's quite something about it is because the history of the order is um, to work in a rather humble and quiet way, um, we're not particularly good about even um, discussing as uh, as an order all but, the work that's done. But let's look at the, the demographics of who you're talking about here. The name says the Global Fund for the Forgotten People. Who who specifically? What are we talking about? When we're talking about the forgotten people. Who are they? Well, what we the way we um, uh, uh, like to think about um, our work is really dividing the, the actual projects that are in place. And when we took a look at that, the eight areas that emerged that we think are specifically forgotten, the elderly, lonely and isolated people, the people with neglected diseases, like leprosy, for instance, children with parents in prison, even in the United States, there is one in 28 people mm. uh, People have, um, what, excuse me, one uh, in in twenty eight uh, people in the United States have a parent behind bars. Um, children born with disabilities, the unacknowledged homeless. These are really the untouchable people that have fallen through the cracks. The ones that have no identity. No one knows their name. They really live in anonymity. Uh, absolutely. You know, Mother Teresa, I think, was probably one of, um, of those that, that help bring the plight of the forgotten. And many of us try to, try to follow in, in, in the way that she chose to work, um, you know, in a, in a very hands-on way. And that's very emblematic of the Order of Malta. Um, it's, um, you know, there's so many organizations that, that do so much good. Um, the Order is extremely proud of the way it works and the intimate care um, that um, that they give the people who are suffering, and and I think you know for those of us who are um, involved in the work, we recognize that this is this is quite a, a unique uh, approach. It's not something that um, uh, we, we feel very blessed. The, the 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 opportunity to serve in this way is rare. Well, and Lisa, do, do you have any specific examples of what are some specific work with the forgotten people that 
Well, I think um, when you talk about the demographics of some of these problems, I think in the first world as well as in, in, in the third world, you see the numbers of the elderly and isolated and lonely swelling. The states can no longer even cope with um, with people that are moving into their 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 senior years. And, a lot of whom don't have a lot of children and, to look after them. And and those who, that do, you know, with various diseases, you know, putting them into care is often very wrenching. And the Order of Malta has a particularly um, um, vast number of care homes in the in the United Kingdom, for instance. It's a it's a great work of the order. And recently, um, I was speaking to one of the directors there, and they were having a very difficult problem with a woman who is in her um, in in the, in her advanced state, having a really difficult time coping. And was quite disruptive. They were very concerned that they'd actually have to move her out of this facility because every morning about four or five, she would reach such a point of distress that, you know, that it was really disturbing to even the other um, guests in the, in the home. And um, with one of, the orders of, uh, one of the members of the order coming to sit with her and talk with her, um, she learned that she had been brought up on a farm. And, and she, was, she was in the advanced stages of Alzheimer's and was very difficult to um, uh, remember things and, and to talk. But she opened up to this member who discovered that what she was doing in those early hours was um, she wanted to be out um, letting the chickens out. So the member um, brought some eggs and put them in the garden and instructed the nurses on duty to, when she woke and was in distress, just to bring her outside and allow her to... Go pick up some eggs. Kind of like Easter. <laughs> you know, in so many ways. Um, but it, it, I think it, it's a lovely illustration of that sort of intimacy, the care, the getting to, you know, thinking of these suffering people as God's children, as individuals. They're, they see, these aren't problems that we're going to solve. In fact, these problems will never go away. And it takes the, I think, the, the Catholic heart um, to, to answer, um, to, to be open to both their own, um, their own service and their own need for sanctification through helping these kinds of individuals. You know, Lisa, I see that in my own Catholic spirituality with Jesus said two things. He said, the poor will always be with us. But he also said that when I was hungry, you, uh, you gave me food, and I was thirsty, you gave me drink. And there's really an opportunity, I guess, we as Catholics being able to do this hands-on work and show Christ's love to these people that are the least of our brothers and sisters because they don't really gain a lot of attention. Yeah, right? Absolutely. Now, as a result of this encounter um, at this particular home, what they realized is that by talking to people about their past by understanding um, they've now created nostalgia rooms and what they've uh, they, they've discovered in just this this sort of intimate conversation is that even those in the most advanced states stages of dementia or Alzheimer's that they, they get more comfortable around the old art or an old carpet or old style sofa and a lamp and old music something from... Something that triggers something deep down inside somewhere. And it creates such a calm in them. And 
then you know prayer enters into their life in a way that they've been deprived of for years just being able to be be in this calm environment and i think that that's just the human touch um that's a beautiful story and a beautiful illustration uh, of, mm-hmm. of what you guys do. We're going to want to get in more specifics about how, the, how what you do plays out uh, mm-hmm. when we come back after this short break. Before we do that, I want to remind folks at home that we have a website, thecatholiccafe.com. I want you to go there and visit. But also, I'd like you to send me an email, deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. And with that, we'll be right back. And this is another great moment in church history. It is the understatement of the millennia to say that the very early church proved to be difficult and trying times for believers in the Lord Jesus. Not only were they considered outcast by the Jews of their day, but Rome had obviously set her sights on the fledgling church as well. In fact, even while many of the original Twelve Apostles were still alive, countless Christians were being martyred by the Roman authorities for their newfound faith in Christ and His Church. One of the worst enemies of the early Church was Emperor Nero. The year 64 AD proved to be the height of his persecutions of Christians. This is a year that Rome burned, and two-thirds of the Eternal City lay in ruins. It is said that Nero might have set the fires intentionally so that he could rebuild the city as he saw fit, or that he simply wanted to create a reason to gain support from the Roman citizens for his persecution of the church. But regardless of why the fires were started, Nero needed a scapegoat, and he blamed the early Christians. He soon began a bloody rampage of persecution, torture, and death, the likes of which had never been seen in Rome. Many non-Christian ancient historians have documented the unusually gruesome deaths that were perpetrated on these early faithful. Many were crucified, many dressed in animal skins and thrown to wild beasts for entertainment, and tradition tells us that some were even used as human torches to light the streets of Rome. Regardless of the means of death, the Church fondly remembers each of these first martyrs. Called the proto-martyrs of Rome, their steadfast love of Christ, even in the face of a cruel death, would stand as a shining example for Christians for nearly 2,000 years. While Nero's goal was to supplant the Christian movement and stifle the growth of the church, his actions ended up backfiring. The proto-martyrs showed that they were ready and willing to share in the suffering, death, and ultimate resurrection of Jesus. This served only to inspire and motivate the persecuted Christians. In fact, the more the church was persecuted, the more it grew. No one knows the exact number of martyrs who paid the ultimate price for their faith at this time in history, but their gift of witness has made a lasting impact on the people of God. The Catholic Church has dedicated a site in Vatican City in their honor, the Piazza of the Proto-Martyrs. Their feast day, celebrated by the Church Universal, is June 30th. I'm Bess Trzymski, and this is another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. And we're back in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe, and we're talking to Lisa Simpson, and Lisa is telling us all about this fun for the forgotten people. 
which is such a, a sort of a sad and forlorn title, but I love the title because it, it just speaks about who you're, who you're talking about here. And I think there's also a sadness in the fact that it's sort of easy and convenient for us to forget about people, isn't it? I mean, we, we push people aside a lot, even in our daily activities. We don't even realize that we're doing it. Uh, and we feel good about ourselves when we go and put a, 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 you know, a quarter or a dollar in some bucket somewhere in some charity. We feel like we've done some charity. We've done something. But we don't want to be bothered with those, uh, the undesirables, the people that are uh, in some countries called untouchable, the, just the, the people that, that sort of show up. They don't show up in a census anywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's why we're thankful for a group like your, yours uh, that's focused specifically on these people and to realize that we're all made in the image and likeness of God, that all of us have worth, all of us have value, uh, not only to God but to each other. Uh, and it's so beautiful that you're doing this work. Well, tell us specifically, how, how does your work play out? What, what are the things that you do as a group? Well, mostly um, we are looking to inspire and inform people that there are vast numbers of people all around us, whether it's in the United States where many of your listeners are or in any of the countries of Europe um, or in Africa, South America, the, the Order of Malta is operating in 120 countries. We are fortunate enough to have diplomatic relationships in um, over 100 countries, which allows us to operate, and um, there may be a, a difficult political situation or a governmental situation. There may have been a war or a natural disaster that may have first inspired the order, knowing that there was tremendous suffering, to enter a particular country or locality. And it's these relationships that we maintain with the government and the trust the order has developed over these 900 years that allow us to be there and work with people that, in some cases, um, their own governments have forgotten them. They're not important to the national agenda. And as such, the, the Order of Malta is there and has been there looking after them. Lisa, one thing I've heard about is there's some work with handicapped children that is going on with the order. Could you tell us a little bit about that? What are you all doing? Um, there's a the number of projects. Um, in Lebanon, we have, uh, we have a number of um, homes for children born with disabilities. Um, and there are a number of countries around the world where this is the, the focus for us. And these are hard to adopt children. They, well, not just hard to adopt. Some of them have families, but the families are so impoverished that they don't really have a chance to um, spend time, spend the kind of – they have so little money and resources that giving them the sort of care or giving them the medical attention that's required to give them any sort of normal life is far out of the question. And you know, in so many cases, our hearts go out to not only the, the, the children with the disabilities, but the families and those trying to support them and just how they really can't live a normal life. And we have one work that I, I, I find so inspiring because it involves so many of the young people, um, so many young Catholics, and uh, that's the camp for the disabled that the Order of Malta holds every year. And Where is it, that located? At? It transfers from one country to another every year. The last um, this year it will be in Hungary. Last year it was in Italy. The year before in Scotland. But the format is generally the same, and that's what's so wonderful. 
And how many kids attend the camp? Hundreds of children mm-hmm. uh, children uh, attend the camps, but it's um, the the um, it's it, it's inspiring on so many levels. None the least of which is the young people from the order from all over the world come together, and they're the ones to conduct the camp. And oh, really? yes, kind of like the order takes care of the malads and lords. They go uh, and help ex- the children ex- with ex- disabilities at the camp. Exactly the same model, and it has you know it's there's so many graces because you have those able-bodied people working with the children, which is um, as any of them will tell you, it, it it's the most inspirational moment in their life to work in these camps and to work with these children. The children themselves adore the camp. The the attention that's given to them and the experiences um, I think for that period they forget their handicaps they're, they, they're horseback riding and swimming and doing things that able-bodied children think is the norm is just the most life-changing opportunity for them but I think maybe my favorite part about it is the effect that it has on the families because they look after these children day in and day out and they're, they're so much the, the central focus of their lives to even move them from downstairs to upstairs or to move them to the breakfast table. And for that few weeks, they know their children are having the most incredible experience and giving the most incredible experience. Their children are giving someone else a gift, and during that time, they go and they can recharge their own batteries, which are so often forgotten. So that's just one project that you're mentioning here. How many projects are going on at, at any one given time? Deacon Jeff, there are hundreds of projects, and that's really how the Global Fund for the Forgotten was born. And so I would say all of these things, are, the theme there is going to be those people that are not in the limelight, not in the spotlight, because we've all seen the stories. We all know about the earthquakes. We all know about the great tragedies. We all mm-hmm. know about the, the, the instant need for something, but it's mm-hmm. that lingering need that will mm-hmm. always be with us that we need to, to focus on. It's so good that you guys are doing that. Well, well what do you all do with like the leprosy and things like that? Are there? Well, there's many countries where leprosy has been deemed to be a solved problem. In effect, the government um, now does not provide any sort of medical assistance to these people who are really uh, very, very ill. Because and they say the problem doesn't exist? Uh, exactly. The problem has been solved. But leprosy it has been cured, but it in fact has not been cured. And um, the people with this um, debilitating disease are often treated as outcasts. They're not even allowed to live within the community. Um, it's not, you know, it's, it, you know, as we've all, you know, have our own concept of leprosy from the Bible. Um, you know, the, the world has moved on in 2,000 years, but somehow our attitude to leprosy has not. And, and what does the order do with lepers, and, and where would that occur? You know, in much the way we handle the other sorts of problems, um, it's that same intimacy and care, and this is creating a place for them to be. It's providing medication through clinics, through communities, through hospitals, all over uh, all over the world in the place, places where leprosy still exists. Well, speaking of all over the world, uh, how many different places in the world are you operating? I wish I could tell you. With respect, with respect to leprosy, I would say that it's probably 20 But um, I just mean locations. all the stuff that, that you guys do. Where are the forgotten people? The, you know, they're, they're, they're right in front of us, and they're, and, and they're in the darkest corners of the world. Um, we, we operate in 
over 120 countries. You know, I wondered about that. We happen to be in Lourdes on the French Catholic mm-hmm. Cafe, and just walking down the streets, you see these little people coming up and begging, mm-hmm. and little children, and I keep on thinking, you know, they're not in school. Mm-hmm. They look like they're very poor. They're a category of our forgotten people from the in the way we work. Um, um, those undocumented immigrants, which is becoming an enormous problem, whether it's because of the situation in countries like Syria or because of the situation in Eastern Europe, where there's um, considerably more freedom uh, of movement given the proximity of one troubled spot to another. Um, this is becoming an increased, increasing problem, and obviously the government in the host country can't really look after these people. Um, they really are alone, and they're suffering, and they're exactly the sort of, of, uh, of people that the Order of Malta has looked after for its entire existence and needs to continue to bring awareness um, of, of, the, of the plight and, and increasing distress. Well, I think we've determined uh, without a doubt that there are lots of forgotten people and that you guys have a lot of work to do. Now, what if someone who's listening here wants to know more about what, what you're doing and maybe they want to help in some way? What, where do they, what do they do? Well, I think I've told you I've, I've skimmed the surface of who the forgotten are and what the order is doing. And I think the easiest way to pursue this it would be to go to our website, which is forgottenpeople.org. We, 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 we really are what we say we are, and um, there is um, tr- a good deal of information about how the order operates, as well as a short video. It only takes about three minutes to see, and in some respects it's much more articulate on the subject than I am, just really giving a, a sense of where the order operates and how it, how it approaches its work. Lisa, in your time that you've been involved with this, have you seen that it's made a difference? Well, I'm very, very happy to say that um, we've been able to give um, a round of grants um, that we've just announced. Um, We're giving three flagship grants to our hospital in Bethlehem, our our work for disabled children in Lebanon, and um, leprosy and sleeping sickness in the southern Sudan. Those are three flagship grants. And then there's 11 other grants that I think if people go to the website, they'll see that we're giving in the United States, in Hungary, in... um, in the United Kingdom. But those grants are translating into lives affected. Uh, absolutely. And um, they're in, we're giving them to trusted hands. They're, they're, they're being given to members of our order, um, organizations of our order who have been working in these places that most of the world has forgotten. And we don't want to forget the website, though. We want to send them to ForgottenPeople.org. And thank you so much, Lisa, for telling us all about this and helping us to remember the forgotten people. Well, I thank you for allowing us to talk to you today, and thank you, your listeners for any um, attention that they can give to the forgotten through the Order of Malta. Well, awesome. And now we know we're not forgotten by our Blessed Mother. We're here in Lourdes, and uh, in honor of Our Lady of Lourdes, let's, let's pray a Hail Mary for all the forgotten people. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail, Hail Mary, Mary, full, full of, of grace, the Lord is with thee. thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send an email to deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. 
The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from J. Terry Stive, Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe. There's always room for one more at our table.